0: As this morning we continue our study in the Gospel of Mark, I want to thank Lidovic for bringing the word last week and preparing us for our text this morning. The text today is found in Mark chapter 2, verses 13 to 17, a very simple and for many of you perhaps a familiar passage of Scripture. However, I believe the Lord um, has a word to uh, to speak to us this morning, and um, I pray that our hearts will be open to receive what He has to bring to us today. Mark chapter two, verses thirteen to seventeen. Jesus, Friend of Sinners. Verse 13 brings us from the scene of Jesus' healing of the paralytic, which is found in the first 12 verses of Mark 2 and brings us into the scene we'll be studying this morning as Jesus calls Levi. Verse 13 tells us that once again Jesus went out beside the lake and a large crowd came to Him and He began to teach them. At this point in His ministry, Jesus is no longer able to minister with freedom in the synagogues. Because of the various miracles that have already been performed and the teaching that he has brought, the size of crowds that have grown around him, Jesus now for the remainder of his earthly ministry does most of that, not exclusively, but the primary places in which he ministers are out. Under the open air, in the open air where there is space uh, sufficient for the crowds that have gathered to him. Verse 14 brings us now into the focal point of what we want to look at and spend our moments together here this morning. Looking at. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now, before we pass by that particular little piece of information too quickly, I want you to notice something very significant embedded right there in the text that we just read. That perhaps, like me, you would quickly or easily overlook. Let me read it again. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus sitting at the tax collector's booth. Jesus saw Levi. Jesus sees us. This is such a simple and yet Earth shatteringly significant reality that Jesus sees us. Now we have to understand just a little bit of historical context to understand just how significant this is for Levi. Levi is a tax collector. As a tax collector, it would not be an overstatement to say that he is one of the most hated men in all of Israel. Jesus has already ministered to the leper who is an outcast. In His own way, Levi is as much of an outcast in his society as that leper. Not allowed to be a witness or a judge in a courtroom. Not even allowed to participate in the life of the synagogue as a part of the ongoing life of being a part of the people of God. Caught between two worlds. The world of His people Israel and the world of those who are using him, the oppressors, the Romans. Now, the Roman Empire was very well equipped for sustaining its incredible international empire through a very sophisticated system of tax farming. there were two types of taxes in the Roman Empire. One was the um, taxes that were set a set percentage of, you know whatever income, like income taxes and property taxes, and those kinds of things. There were those taxes that were, that were set and, and provided that regular income for the Roman Empire. But there was another whole set of taxes that the Romans had established which were far more injurious than the simple percentage taxes that everyone paid. These taxes were a system of tolls and fees. Tolls and fees. And here's how it worked. Let's say that Rich is our tax collector this morning. And Rich has pledged himself, as it were, to be a tax collector for the Roman Empire. And, And because he has done that, he has been given by the Roman Empire a particular location to do his tax collecting and a particular amount for him to collect that tax. In Levi's case, he is a tax collector on one of the most significant and important commercial roads that runs through that whole region. And his tax collector booth is right at the entry point into a new municipality, the municipality of Herod Antipas. It would be as if Levi had set up his tax collector booth, let's use Rich again as our example here, set up that tax collector booth right at the state line between Wisconsin and Minnesota, right there in Hudson, right before the bridge, Rich has his tax collector's booth. Now, as a tax collector, he has been given the task of raising $50,000 per annum for the Roman Empire. But he is given the freedom by the Roman Empire, not only the freedom, but the authority to set any kind of toll or fee that he wants to collect whatever he can collect and anything above and beyond... $50,000 that he raises is cash in his pocket. Now, do you see why this system might lend itself to some fraud? So Rich is at the uh, state line. And Carlton is coming because he's on his way back to school at McAllister. And so he's driving along on Interstate 94 and he comes to where Rich has his toll booth tax collection place. Now Rich has the authority to look in anyone's load, whatever they're bringing in. He has he has the freedom to set any kind of toll or fee that he would choose. So he comes to Carlton and he says, um, let me see what you've got here in the vehicle. And so Carlton opens up his car and uh, Rich notices that Carlton is coming back with a number of textbooks. Now, Rich has, again, the freedom and authority to set any kind of toll or fee he wants and so he sort of pulls something out of the air and says, Well, let's see how many of these you have. And, um, Carlton, there's going to be a $20 excise fee for every one of the textbooks you're bringing in to our municipality. Let me see, how many do you have here? Uh, Oh, I see that you've brought in 10 textbooks, $20 a textbook, $200 fee. Carlton fishes out his wallet looks in his wallet and discovers well let's let's take a look here Carlton in fact I'll help you with that right now it's be Oh my yes we do have a college student Carlton will be at the back taking up a collection after the service Wow that looks like empty Well boy that's that's really sad Carlton um because I'm afraid that uh, Rich is not going to be able to allow you to come on in if you don't pay that $200 fee. You're going to have to turn around and go back. But Carlton says, I've got to get to school. Classes are going to be starting. I need to get there. Well, it just so happens that Rich, in addition to his tax collecting business, also Serves as a loan provider, and rich would be happy to lend you the two hundred dollar fee that you need to pay. Now, yes, there's a, a small twenty five percent interest that that you're going to have to pay spread out, and it compounds daily. But really, I'm sure that as a college student, you're going to be able to work that off within decades. No problem. Are you starting to understand why Levi would not have been the most popular man in time? Now, there was a lot of people like Carlton who saw Levi as they made their way through and paid their taxes. But I would submit to you, for the first time in a very long time, someone actually saw Levi. not for all that He embodied, but for who He actually was. You see, to see means a careful and deliberate vision which interprets its object. Jesus has a vision to see us as we truly are. 2 Corinthians 5, 16, 17, one of my favorite Scriptures. So from now on, we regard, no one from a worldly point of view, though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, He's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. When Jesus sees us, he sees us not simply as we are at this moment, but he sees us as we will be. Mm. True story. A gem dealer, this was many years ago, so the, when we get to the prices here, things will be. A gem dealer was strolling the aisles at the Tucson Gem and Mineral Show when he noticed a blue violet stone the size and shape of a potato. He looked it over and then as calmly as possible asked the vendor, you want $15 for this? The seller, realizing the rock wasn't as pretty as the others in the bin, lowered the price to ten bucks. The stone has since been certified as a 1,905 carat natural star sapphire. About 800 carats larger than the largest stone of its kind. And it was appraised at 2.28 million dollars. It took the lover of stones to recognize the sapphire's worth. It takes the lover of souls to recognize the true value of a person's life. Jesus sees us and He invites us to put on His glasses to see the people around you. That person who irritates and aggravates you in your workplace, in your school, in the church, in your home, to recognize that the very thing and qualities that may be annoying you are the very things that are somehow wrapped up in that person's calling and destiny. Jesus sees us. That, my friends, is... Because He sees us, He calls us. Simple word that He says to Levi here. Follow me! Wow! Embedded in that simple invitation and command is an enormous... (laughs) doorway for Levi. I've shared this before, but I'm going to remind you again. When Jesus says, follow me, there are three things that he, there's three invitations that are embedded right in that. The first is this, come to me. Come to me and receive a new identity. This is the call of salvation. It is the call of new birth. He says, you must be born again. But it doesn't end there. For He says, come after Me. The call of discipleship. The invitation to a new maturity. Yes, you're only young once, but you can be immature forever. But you don't have to be. He calls you into a new maturity. He doesn't want to leave you simply as a little baby. But He wants us to grow. And then He says, come with Me. The call of intimacy. The invitation to a new destiny. Coming into the place where we experience the fellowship of His sufferings and the fellowship of His glory. In those familiar words of John 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my Father I have made known to you. This is the new destiny that He has for you. That you would be a friend of God. Talking to a dear friend of mine last night, lives in another state, another place. I asked him how he was doing. He said, I'm learning what it means to be a friend of God throughout the day. In the midst of a very high pressure job that he's in, in the midst of all kinds of different stresses pulling and tearing at his life, he said, I'm just trying to learn. this is a man whose life is already one of maturity, but God's calling him deeper. And He's calling us deeper into a place of intimacy. Destiny. And Levi got up and followed Him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, verse 15, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Him and His disciples were there his, and, and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Well, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said to them, And please underline this, not in the Pew Bible, but in your own. Highlight it. It's in the red letters. It's Jesus' words. They're powerful. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Come to call not the righteous, but sinners. Here's the most profound truth that you or I can ever embrace. Oh, it's so simple, it seems. So familiar. But would you hear it again today? Jesus saves us. He saves us. Well, what on earth do we need saving from? We need saving from our disease. What is our disease? It is a disease common to all mankind. It is sin. And that sin is not simply wrongdoing. It's wrong being. There is a genetic flaw in our in our very being because of the fall. The Pharisees didn't get it. They were looking at the externals, at the at the keeping of the law and regulations, and they were the, you know, they were husbanding those and, and caring for them and nurturing those laws and regulations and, and developing them and, and and multiplying them. And so you were in or out. You were a sinner or not based on whether you kept those laws and regulations but they did not see the reality which is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God all They did not know that just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. In this way, death came to all men because all sinned. This disease afflicts every human being. The greatest tragedy and the greatest challenge of all Self righteousness, where we stand independent of God and think that somehow we can do it ourselves and make ourselves acceptable to God and call ourselves clean. But Jesus has a remedy. And that remedy is salvation. And listen carefully. Salvation is not simply about making bad people good. Salvation makes bad people live. Outside of Christ, we're not simply bad people, we're dead. And when He comes into our life, it's not simply because He wants to rearrange the furniture in our house. He wants to move in. And do a complete rehabilitation. (laughs) Embedded in the what, What we read earlier, 323, is embedded in this larger context. But now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus who said Himself, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes Him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over. The great crossing that he wants us to make. That's the great crossing that he wants your co worker and your family member and your students around you and all of those. That's the great crossing he desires for them to make. When they annoy you, it's not simply because they're sinners, it's because they're dead. They're dead. doesn't stop there. He changes us. Oh, He changes us. And it begins when we first respond. And our first response must be repentance, which is not simply changing our mind, but it's changing our entire life direction. Jesus said, follow me and Levi got up and followed Him. Peter and the other disciples, they left their boats and nets and things, but it tells us later, they went back. They still still had the boats there available to them. When Levi left his tax collector's booth, he left everything. There was no going back. He left it. The Lord's calling His people to a godly sorrow which brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Just being sorry. But not changing the orientation of your life is worldly sorrow and it's simply... Brings death. It is only godly sorrow which brings about a change in our life direction that leaves no regret and brings us into life. Many, many years ago, there was a cartoon in Leadership Magazine. They always have these wonderful cartoons. And it was, there was a Bible study going on and they were discussing Romans and the concept of dying to, the, dying to yourself. And this woman in the little caption, she says, Well, I can't really say that I've ever died to myself, but, but I did feel faint once. Feeling faint once is worldly sorrow. It is dying. That brings life. And our second response must be obedience, which is not simply a single decision, but a life-long orientation of walking with Him, as Eugene Peterson calls it, a long obedience in the same direction. It isn't simply how you begin the race, but it's how you end it. And yes, it's a marathon. And yes, it's long. And sometimes it's really hard. The Lord is calling to you today. Finish well. Finish well. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now here's the key to obedience. Remain in my love. We think, oh, I'm just going to grip my teeth and... You know, gut it out here. I'll just, I'll just do as Second Hesitations 4.13 tells me. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Come on. Never work. Jesus says, remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I've obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. We know that the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy comes as we remain in Him. My command is this. Love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this than He lay down His life for His friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. Life of obedience in the Lord is not a life of unrelenting drudgery. Yeah. I'm living for Jesus. I'm walking in victory. Yeah. It's to be marked by joy. And my joy may be in you. And I love what his response is, which is transformation. He doesn't just give us a new life. He gives us and makes us a new creation. (laughs) That's good. Have you ever noticed some of his best work? To what Roman faith says. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him. It doesn't mean that everything in your life is going to feel good. But it does mean that in all things He will work for the good of those who love Him who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those He predestined, He also called. We heard that Jesus calls us. He also justified. He saved us. He also glorified. Transformed us. I don't know about you, but I want to sign up for that program. Anybody else want to sign up for that program? Yeah. That's the program I want to sign up for. Better than any health club. Cheaper, but a lot more costly. Transformation. Extra sermon points available this morning for anybody who can tell me who Levi is. Who is Levi? Huh? Who? Oh? No. Matthew? Is that somebody said? I heard. Matthew. Levi is Matthew. Somewhere along the line, like a lot of the rest, he got a name change. You know what Matthew means? It means the gift of God. Some mom back there knew that. (laughs) Matthew means gift of God. Writer of the Gospel of Matthew. That's our boy. As the worship team comes up, I'm going to close with a story. Another true story. Centuries ago, workmen were seen dragging an enormous marble block into the city of Florence, Italy. It had come from the famous marble quarries of Carrara and was intended to be made into a statue of a great Old Testament prophet. But it contained imperfections, and when the great sculptor Donatello saw it, he refused it at once. So there it lay in the cathedral yard, a useless block. But one day, another sculptor caught sight of the flawed block, and as he examined it, there rose in his mind something of immense beauty, and he resolved to sculpt it. For two years, the artist worked feverishly on the work of art. Finally, on January 25th, 1504, the greatest artists of the day assembled to see what he had made of the despised and rejected block. Among them were Botticelli and Leonardo da Vinci and Pietro Perugino, the teacher of Raphael. And as the veil dropped to the floor, the statue was met with a chorus of praise. It was a masterpiece. The succeeding centuries have confirmed that judgment. For Michelangelo's David is one of the greatest works of art the world has ever known. Jesus takes the imperfect block of marble called our lives and He chips away and He molds away for the purpose of creating in us the masterpiece, the unique masterpiece that is you. You are a masterpiece. You're a masterpiece. You're a masterpiece. Oh, we just want to go, Oh, no, not me. (laughs) But we are in the hands of the Lord. This morning, if you don't have a relationship with Him, It's a really good day. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. He's calling. He's just saying, I mean, it can't get any clearer. He's saying, come on. Come on. If you want to receive Him today when we sing this great hymn as we close, you just step out from where you are and come on up and there'll be some folks that'll come on up and pray with you.